G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm John Murch. Today's guest will take up the whole 45 minutes of the show and they truly are a jazzy and wonderful guest at that. Cynthia Toro, soul based in jazz with a refreshing pop sensibility, comes to music firmly in their genes. They have performed alongside Burning Sun and Sky, Guido Basso, Robbie Botos, and Terry Clark. Apart from the jazz pedigree, Toro has also shared the stage with indie pop outfit Little Scream and other notable groups across numerous genres over the years. Moments, their latest release, was produced by George Collar, who also appears on the album, with the opening cut an original called Dancing on My Own. From Toronto, Cynthia joins John for this feature chat. Welcome to Radio Notes. Thanks for having me. think it might be appropriate, considering it is Mother's Day, to start with the family. My, I come from a family of musicians, uh, my mother specifically, which I'm excited. We're actually going there for brunch tomorrow for Mother's Day. She is a singer and a pianist. She went to school for classical piano. My grandparents, so her parents are, my papa was like a working musician until he was like 85 years old. (laughs) My granny is a singer and accordion player. My two uncles are both working musicians. They're all, it was always in my family, basically. And your mother's released five albums as well. Yeah. Is that the aspiration? Um, Yes, for sure. I would, I mean, I hope I get that, I can make that much material. And my mom has like a million and one songs, which is really cool. And I I ask her a lot for songwriting questions because she's done a lot of it and she's very good. What do you get from your mother, artistically speaking, do you think? Um, I think almost everything, (laughs) considering my dad is very opposite. My dad's like science, business, math, no artist. I mean, he appreciates the arts. But artistically, I think I get, yeah, like my singing, my playing, my creativeness, like sensitivity and everything like that from her. In terms of a family sort of outing, back a few years ago, there was a universe in a kiss, a a live cabaret performance. Yeah, I'm so, wow, this is amazing that you actually know a lot about, (laughs) you've done your good research. She basically created an entire circus show. She created the music first because my other, my sister is, I have two sisters. One is a circus performer. She does like Cirque du Soleil in Dubai and she's, but she's home right now, which is good because of the whole situation. But yeah, so my mom was in a phase of writing all this music. And then she said like, wow, this would be perfect for a circus show because we've been to so many like Cirque du Soleil shows and like seeing my sister perform to specific tracks. And it's like, yeah, so she created an entire show and now Universe and a Kiss is basically her performing live with some sort of circus element and then with also like a visual element. She wanted it to be like an entire show like Cirque du Soleil, but like she's kind of starting small and like then building and music is really good. It's fascinating because a, a previous guest of ours, Orca, who plays the violin mm-hmm. and classically trained, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, uh, but does original sound yes. type music has been working with performance artists as well so when you're in that space what do you get is there a next level that you see it was next level because also who was it was my sister at the time who was performing literally in front of the stage while we were singing some of the songs and it was just like a it was a great feeling because also who you're playing with on stage if you're loving all the musicians who are playing with you on stage 
so like first you have you're like vibing on stage and then you look out and you're there's a circus performer who happens to be your sister it's kind of just a whole nother feeling so it's it's a really good yeah it was it was really cool Another question on the mother before okay. we move on. As we said, it's Mother's Day yeah. here. We'll be very yeah. short. It's what you call the Mother's Day weekend. What does she cook so well? Love it. Um, everything. <laughs> One of my favorite meals of hers is probably her like veal cutlets or like a or pasta. Like her tomato her sauce is really good, and she's a very good baker as well. So she decided to combine her music and her cooking. Just because she like has been cooking for us literally every like every meal since we were babies, she decided to why not like combine them and she's so good. Also, her biscotti are like really they're well known. They're a hit. I know where we're moving on to next. Before we do, in the show notes, I'll put a link to your mother's YouTube channel where your sister's yes. in the kitchen. It's entertaining. Yes. It's fun. Oh, I'm so happy that you're seeing these. Moves on to your next yeah. passion, which is that of coffee. What's your fascination with coffee? What's your coffee of choice? I like that. Wait, did you know that I like love coffee? Mm-hmm. Or is this just a random question? Well, <laughs> it's kind of random, but it's also the fact that you actually have a mug of coffee. When you perform, On you have my... a huge oh, mug of okay, coffee. Okay, yes. I know. I'm always drinking coffee. Okay, well, to be honest, actually, my favorite coffee right now is McDonald's coffee. Mm. I know, I know some people, well, the thing is, it's about half and half. Some people are like, wow, that is the best coffee. You're so right. And then other people are like, are you serious? What about the food though? It is just the coffee? Mm-hmm. The McDonald's food? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not really about that. Once in, a, honest, once in a while, yes. Like maybe once every couple months. Been over a decade since I've walked into one of those establishments. I don't know. I just think if I don't walk in, I won't get it. I won't go down that rabbit hole. We'll be fine. But if you're, it's really tough. If you're at a cafe, a barista is actually making you a coffee. What are you ordering from said barista? Either an Americano or a latte. Actually, oat milk lattes, lattes are kind of really good right now. Remind us what Americano is. I'm really- an Americano, the like shot of espresso and then with water, with like hot water. So, and then they fill like the cup with hot water or it's like a double Americano. It's like two shots of espresso, I think, and then fill it with hot water. Um, or yeah, latte. Have you ever tried oat milk? Oat milk. I really love oat milk. I actually have because I didn't want the soy. I was like, uh, you know. Yeah. I actually like my milk from an animal, but that's just me. I'm a little weird like that. Right? Weird. No, I do actually. I mean, I still enjoy regular milk as well. But oat milk has like a, if you don't want like regular milk, because sometimes actually with my throat, I shouldn't be, I notice a difference when I am having like all the dairy products. And so once in a while, it's nice to switch it up to like, but right now, for example, I have been using regular milk. I'm not a singer. What vocal things work for you? Well, technically, so I've been doing lately i think for the honestly maybe for the past like two years no maybe a year and a half i have been trying to do this warm-up every day that i do and with my uh vocal coach mark baxter who's in boston and he has all these like youtube videos online and so specifically i do that every day and then i've been also eating eating i guess a lot of honey lately and i've noticed a big difference on my voice that's kind of it though just try to vocalize like as much as i can and not eat 
like yogurt or a lot of milk and some people say that's kind of like a fad like it's actually not true the whole dairy thing and milk but I actually have noticed a difference where like I'm clear I'm constantly clearing my throat when I used to have yogurt like every day and then uh, I noticed I was constantly clearing my throat and then yeah and then I stopped having it and I'm like wow I don't do that anymore on that point, uh, singer-songwriter Simon Kelly of Perth, Australia, used to swear by Sam Booker's clear it out before going that on stage. That would be nice too, right before you go on. Yeah. I've never done that. I mean, I think I've actually done that. I was in a band in Ottawa, and sometimes we would do that, like, right before we go on stage, just, like, take a shot. Or sometimes the lead singer would, like, get a shot, and, like, at, we, he would make us all, like, take one before we got on stage, and then we would have one with the audience while we're playing. Um, so, and that's kind of fun, but for my own shows, I don't usually do that, but I kind of want to try. So well, let's talk about Baxter, the vocal coach you mentioned right there in Boston. Mm-hmm. So when did you meet yeah. them? How did that come about? Honestly, every musical thing that I get, it is from my mom again, because my mom, I think she was reading one of his books uh, and then she contacted him and he ended up doing uh, Skype lessons for her. It was probably like five years ago that she introduced me to him and then I started taking vocal lessons via Skype. He's like phenomenal. He's really good. He knows like every little thing about the voice and about like your throat, (laughs) your larynx, your vocal cords, everything. Something that's very important as a jazz vocalist like yourself is when we're talking about the voice, that of delivery of emotion as well. How much time and effort have you put into that? How much of it comes naturally for you? That's a good question. <laughs> um, because sometimes I think that I actually don't put enough like emotion into my singing, to be honest. But like, and it is very, and that's also where my mom and I differ, I think, because she puts like everything into her songs. Like everything, whatever she's singing, she's, this is what you should be doing. But thinking about every word and like, it's all emotion. With me, I think it's because I used to, I still do a lot of like background gigs, like where I play at hotels for like four hours or like I play at weddings, I play special events. I do that like as how I make money. And then I also have my original stuff. And I think that kind of like gets me on almost, it's almost like I desensitize from like what I'm playing. So I'm trying to work on that more and just really like focus on exactly what I'm singing and maybe play more of my original stuff. Because whenever I play more original stuff, I'm, that's all I'm thinking about. But the covers that I play, I'm kind of like, okay, I've played this a lot. The Shangri-La is yeah. a five-star hotel that you do some of those performances mm-hmm. in. And you are mm-hmm. that. You are in the background. You're there to set a mood, a tone. People look over and go, oh, they're actually alive and playing. Great. This is five-star yeah. after all. Do you sometimes, maybe you do, can you confess this, slip in an original or two in a jazz mode? Yes, I do. And I think it's okay because it's like... Of course it's okay. I mean, people, right? Like people are listening, but they're not actually listening. So like maybe I'll do like one per set or something if I'm doing like four sets or if I'm doing two sets. And it's funny how, how much faster the time goes by when you play an original. I'm thinking also that gives you a sense of ownership, brings you back to where you as a musician are at at the time. I would imagine when you jazz up or improvise out the classic modern tunes like that of Back to Black that I've heard, which is just fascinating how you've actually reinterpreted. Oh, thank you. There are certain songs that I think you just resonate with and like that, that are easy to play. 
back to what we were saying about the emotive vocal as well. That is a modern classic gives you a chance to use the emotive vocal mm. while still doing the yeah. the song after. I think it's also because I love that type. Like I kind of love a lot of different types of music. Let's compare that to maybe doing something like a, a Burdock pub, like a more sort of pub kind mm. of gig. Yeah, the Burdock is a lot different and a lot. That is fun. I would be like, I would curate like my set just and it'd be like a 45 minute set that specific venue is like very it's really intimate and the environment is really nice because it is it's a pub on one side and it's kind of like an upscale kind of pub it's they have good beers and yeah and then on the other side they have like a soundproof like concert hall kind of tiny it's small but like it's really nice there and you can have a really like intimate show and it's fun. You get to play with your friends. I get to only basically play my original stuff, throw in some like covers here and there. And that's fun. Debut album yeah. moments has a large proportion of originals yeah. on it as well. Sometimes hard to know what is original and what, it, because you do it in such a unique yeah. way. You could all be originals, but of course we know they're not. Oh, thank you four originals on there and then four covers we did it all like live off the floor then I met like most of the musicians I knew of them I was really fortunate to play with like best musicians in Toronto or Canada it's like I had the charts for my original stuff and they just read through the charts and I we talked about the songs before and George Collar is the producer and also played some bass as well, which I think is highlighted in the opening passages of the original like that as well I was lucky to work with him uh, because I met him. I actually met him when I was back in Ottawa, which is funny. And he was playing. Do you know Lila Bialy? She's kind of like someone who I would like look up to in terms of she's from Toronto and she's a great pianist and singer. She kind of mixes jazz pop. And so I actually, so I, she was playing in Ottawa and with George Kohler and with her husband, Ben, on drums. And since Ottawa is such a small town, I like went and obviously we got to meet them after. And so I met George and he knew my uncle, who's also a bassist as well from Toronto. So he's like, oh, yeah. So we connected, exchanged information. And then when I moved back to to Toronto from Ottawa, I think I emailed him and then we just said, oh, we should work together. He produces people. I've seen what he does. So then we got together. I showed him all my stuff. And then he's like, yes, let's do it. And he kind of uh, produced, he got the musicians and we put everything together and it was fun. And we recorded at number nine audio studio in Toronto. What was the feeling like walking into audio nine on that first day, Mm -hmm. knowing that you had the charts in your bag, that you had the keys ready to go? When, when I first was meeting with George or when I like with all the musicians, yeah, let's start with meeting with George first and we will get to that second part second. So when, when you first walked into Audio 9 and George was there. I was pretty nervous. Um, <laughs> I think I had also had a <laughs> full disclosure. I think I might I went out the night before and so I was a bit foggy in my brain. <laughs> I actually I don't even think I came. Per- I don't think I even brought my charts. Uh, but I just played for him and I played all my songs and I played the covers that I knew already been playing these gigs in Ottawa, like the four hour gigs, the solo piano voice gigs. Um, yeah. And then he was like, okay, these are great. I love the originals. Okay. Uh, which cover should we do? And then I showed him a couple Latin covers and he hadn't heard one of them. He's like, that's perfect. The Cara Valente. 
demoed like 12 songs. Like, so he played bass and then I played keys and vocals. On day one? On day one, yeah. And Bernie, who's the engineer, who's also amazing, he recorded everything. And then after that, took a listen to all the demos and then chose the eight songs that we were going to do and then got charts together. I had already had like all of my charts for my original stuff, but I cleaned them up and then we like interacted with all the musicians, emailed them. The vibe that you got from these musicians that he'd, I guess he'd put together for you, but you had some sense of their background as well. Mm -hmm. On the day, one, I was like nervous because they're all like the best musicians in Canada. So I'm like, "Mm, okay, I'll play with them. But two, they couldn't have made it like easier for me. That's what was the really cool thing is that it was just all really easy and nice and fun and like good vibes and like love and You'd think that you'd be so intimidated, like playing, and I was, but like not, it didn't really come off as that. It was easy and fun, and I liked my stuff, which was also really cool. It's been a little while since we've mentioned your mother, so we'll just mention her here. What was that phone call or conversation, or maybe it was face-to-face that you had before going into the studio with these musicians? Good question obviously told her all the musicians that I'm going to be working with. And then she's like, Oh great. Like I love them. And she was all excited. There was one, she hadn't met Dabby day before. I don't think is the drummer on it. He's a phenomenal Dabby day DiRenzo. She said like, Oh, that's all amazing. She's like, but just remember you're good and you can do this. And like, you know, George wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done this if he didn't think that you could do this and you, you know, you can and don't be intimidated. And so she really kind of like pumped me up and I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. <laughs> We mentioned Dabiday there, who's on the drums. Who else was on board for this recording? So Dabiday on drums, Ted Quinlan on guitar. When I was younger, I went to a music camp. He was the guitar teacher in the music camp, so that's how I knew him. And George obviously was on bass, George Kohler. Colleen Allen on sax and clarinet, and then Perry White on sax. Let's talk about that pedigree, though. You mentioned about the school camp there, knowing one of the musicians from that. But in fact, you studied jazz at Carlton University with one of the greats who's performed with Ella Fitzgerald, Dionne Warwick, Tom Jones, Aretha Franklin, to name a few. Yeah, Talk to us about learning under Mark Ferguson and what that was like. Mark. First of all, this is such a great interview because I love how you know, like, everything. And it's like I get to talk about everything that I love as well. He was such like a huge influence and he's actually the main reason that I stayed in Ottawa because he was such a great teacher. He taught me a lot, just like foundation about playing keys and about like being a working musician, what you do and what you don't do. And we also just had a lot of fun. Like we had tea almost like every lesson (laughs) and would like just talk a lot and talk about music. Yeah. So he really helped me. And even with like arranging, he taught some courses at Carleton as well. And so he taught like an arranging arrangement course. He taught like composition. And so he, it was really great. I loved it. He also does some work at McGill as well. So he's got that encompassment as well. He's because McGill's known for its performing arts and of course Carleton is known for its as well. But I want to know what was the driving force to stay the course at university, to actually want to be there, to actually study was it easy for you to uh, to be at university? Yeah, it actually was. I mean, like, because I think it's because I had such great friends who were also studying with me and also great musicians. And also I made great friends who weren't musicians. So I had kind of both 
because I was there, I was in res, like residence in first year and obviously not a music residence. So like, I'm still really good friends with people who I met first year. And then I had all my like department, the music department friends. And then it was just fun. I actually, I really enjoyed all the courses, like learning and classical music, history and all that stuff. Is it yeah. true that university for you, whilst you did have a huge background of a musical family and music in your life and everything else relating to music, that university nailed music as being something that Cynthia would have in her life? Yes, because I wasn't sure exactly what I, out of high school, I wasn't necessarily sure exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't until I actually even remember the day and I was like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could only do music the rest of our lives? <laughs> like if I could just be playing and if I could just be like performing and having gigs, that's all I did. And then my friend is like, yeah, like why, why else would you be here? Like, yes. And I'm like, I mean, cause I knew I wanted to have music in my life, but I didn't really know to what extent or like to, in what way I wanted to have it in my life. And when did the drive of being a songwriter, when did that start? That started late as well, I think. That started in third year, I think. I wrote my first song when I was like 21, I think. 20, 21. Because I, I had never written before. And I think I just was like, oh, I'm feeling really sad. <laughs> and then like, yeah, tried to write a song. And I still actually, I think I don't mind. I don't mind it. My first song that I ever wrote. So you've had a few years of the great, Mark Ferguson at that point under your belt teaching you the bedrock really, including that of live yeah. performance. As we mentioned, a couple of names there that he's performed with. He knows what it's like to perform with he, someone. Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I loved it. He also, I feel like he also taught me just like, it was nice because he knew everyone too in the city and he knew all the musicians. And so it was like, if you were with Mark, you're like, you're part of the crowd. I got to meet a lot of like great musicians just by having him as a teacher, which was nice in Ottawa. What was that feeling like yeah. to actually know that you could actually use that knowledge base that you'd got to actually express your own feelings? It was really exciting. I think I called my mom after I sent it. I sent a recording. I still do this like to my mom and my sisters of the song. And they're like, Oh my God, it's so good. Oh my God. And I'm like, wow, I can do this. Cool. But it, it's really good. It's almost like now, like a therapeutic thing. After you write a song, it's like the best feeling ever. The therapy of the workspace that you have that, of course, is the piano, the charts mm -hmm. you're making at the time, the lyrics, of course, but also the tissue box as well. Bit of a crier when you write. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I have written a song and not cried. Which is, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, because I was also saying, I think I put too much pressure on myself with writing songs. But it's true, though, you have to be emotionally like in it, you know, and you have to really be feeling, for me at least, the songs that I write, I'm very like connected to them. And that's, it's literally how I feel. And so it could be happy or sad, sad too, because now I'm writing a bunch of happy songs. And still, when I'm writing them, I'm like sobbing. So it all involves waterworks at some level, happiness or otherwise. Oh, it, re it really does. And it's kind of funny because it's just like my boyfriend will come out like into the room that I'm in. He's like, are you crying? Or like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm just, you know, <laughs> it's just my work. <laughs> 
That brings us right to the lead single off the album called Dancing On My Own, which is not Mm -hmm. as lamentful as it might first suggest. People have commented Mm -hmm. about the video clip, and rightly so, yet again in the show notes. It'll be there for people to check out. But give us a talk through on that process of the writing of. I was in a relationship back when I was in Ottawa and it was very rocky. It was like going back and forth all the time. And then like we would break up, we'd get back together and then we'd break up. And I had my own apartment at the time and I was just at my home, at my apartment. And at the time, I don't know, he wasn't there or maybe we were on like a time where we were broken up and I was just dancing in my apartment by myself because it was really good music that I was listening to and I was like wow I love doing this and I can feel so good without him and I don't need all that negativity oh maybe I shouldn't say that if if it was negativity at the time then you know call a spade a spade yeah exactly I just didn't need that and it's it was nice to just be myself and dancing so then I wrote dancing on my own I think like I maybe had written like the I might have even written like the yeah verse and then chorus i was gonna say what the chorus verse i don't think i did i just started writing did you get a sense of empowerment i was gonna say also yeah no yeah for sure empowerment and i think i also had you know sarah Bareilles' love song i'm not gonna write you a love song because yeah i think i kind of had that in my mind because that's why the, like the piano like the four quarter notes in the beginning kind of ish the same but yeah i for sure had the sense of empowerment as well but then we look at a song yeah. like Far Away, for example, and that talks us about the distance and the belonging aspects as well of a relationship. Yes. That one I had written before too. That was like a year or two before I wrote Dancing on My Own. And that one, yeah, it was like a longing and someone was like leaving. And we weren't even really together, actually. That's the thing. <laughs> like it's not like we were in a relationship. But yeah, it was just about someone going somewhere and like you not wanting them to go and then that one's more like a simple song and I actually play it differently on the album. It's almost like a ballad. And when I play it live, I kind of, it's more funky and a bit more like up tempo and very opposite, I guess, lyrics. The optimism coming through as well of where you are now, maybe the change of play. Yeah, for sure. Before it was sad. All my songs were sad and now it's like, they're a bit happier. Hi, I'm Alana. And I'm Brianne. We're Fionn. We're coming up on radio now. The Twin Sisters, their latest mini album is Everyone's a Critic. We'll be speaking to them in a few weeks regarding that. But for now, back to our wonderful guest this time round, Cynthia Toro. And let's return back with a quote. The music should reveal the soul. Let's talk about Bill Evans. When were you first introduced mm. to Bill Evans and what impact did they have? I love Bill Evans. My mom, I think, introduced me to Bill Evans. She, right before I, like, was applying to university, she um, gave me a list of, like, jazz pianists and just, like, jazz musicians who I should, I, who I need to be listening to. Obviously, like, Bill Evans, Oscar Peterson was on there. And I don't know, I just gravitated towards Bill Evans. Like, his playing, his, like, sensibility, his voicings, just, like, the emotion that he puts into his playing is, yeah, he's my favorite pianist get a sense or maybe learn from Evans that of uh, spacing as well that silence has sometimes been the strength oh yeah yeah that's one of, yeah that's one of the things he does so well and he was also very just 
Like it was the first time he was the player, the first player at the time to be doing what he was doing. You know what I mean? Like now there's so many people, but at that time there's no one like Bill Evans and just all of his small lines and his melodic playing. And I learned a lot from Bill Evans. Also like Mark, Mark, like, I think that's one of his favorite players as well. And also from memory, Along with Horace Silver. Also from memory, Evans was very much at home in a trio as well. Do you get that sense as well yeah. that sometimes a trio is better than a quartet? Yeah. I love bringing it back like just to a trio. It's really nice because then you can just connect with like two other people, bass and drums. I don't know. It's, I mean, for me, sometimes if I'm singing as well, then I'm like, mm, a guitar is kind of nice because you can like, you lean on the guitar and you, there's not as much pressure for you to be like comping and singing and like, and soloing. But with just playing, with just if I'm just playing and not singing as well, then yeah, I love playing trio. Back in 2016, you were part of the very accredited, comfortably numb outfit, which is a Pink Floyd yeah. band. Is yeah. that true? And was it as fun as it sounds like it would have been? Yes, that is true. It was fun. Uh, we toured a bit with me and my friend Mackenzie, uh, who is also with me in, in the program at, in Ottawa at Carleton. We were the, the background singers for literally Canada's like number one, like the Pink Floyd. They're actually based out of Ottawa. That's the thing. So I think they had like reached out to the head of the music department in at Carleton and said like, we need singers. And then he reached out to me and then it was fun though. I got to learn a lot of Pink Floyd. I didn't know a lot of Pink Floyd before then. It was me and Mackenzie and then just a bunch of kind of old guys who like were nice and fun, but it's not like it was like the, it was a good experience to say in the least. It was a good experience. Musical theatre, Mamma Mia in 2018. Now, musical theatre. What's your favourite musical theatre show to see? Oh my God, I have so many. I really love musical theatre actually. New York, like the best one that I had been to was probably Wicked. Like I love Wicked. But then also, like I love Sound of Music, <laughs> a classic. The final one I want to check with you, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. is for your birthday. You did a fundraiser for a hospital, which was part of a oh, stroke yeah. wow. program. Where my parents live. They just live like 45 minutes north of Toronto in like farm country, basically. Their neighbors who had just moved in, Chris, the husband, he had a stroke a couple years back and he like was, I think the first person to ever have this stroke and like this specific thing that was wrong with his brain. And so he wanted to have a fundraiser for like the doctors who basically brought him to life and kept him living. He had the fundraiser literally right across the street from my parents at their farm and it fell on the day of my birthday, September 15th. And he wanted me to, and he had like a huge band, he had everything. And so he wanted me to play and yeah. And then was in support of the great cause. That would be the connection there. And the other fun fact is that uh, your birthday is also yes. the passing date of uh, Bill Evans, of course. Bill Evans. Wow. How did you know that? Well, he died on that day. He <laughs> yes. died in 1980. 90, or no, 80. Eight, yeah, 80. It's actually funny because Bill Evans, yeah, died on September 15th. And another one of my, like, heroes, Joe Bean, he died in 1994. And that's pretty sure. not. And that's when I was born. There's a tune called Wandering 
from a number of years ago. Wondering, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a cracker of a tune. Have you reworked that over the years? Oh, thank you. I haven't reworked it. I kind of play it like the same-ish with some changes, but I haven't recorded that like on an album or on anything, and I kind of want to. It's just that live off the floor recording. Because it hasn't been released, are you comfortable about going back into your library of material of songs that you've written for the new release or are you looking to do something completely new where you go maybe to the family farm or something and just write for the album? That's a good question. For the new release, it's kind of all new stuff. It's kind of all stuff that I've written over the past year, I'd say. So I do want to at some point like release Wondering because whenever I play it, I always get comments of like, oh my God, that's a great song. Like, why was that on the record? I'm like, oh, sorry. Because I had already technically done it, but just live off the floor. Um, so I think eventually at some point I will record it. The thing about yeah. wondering is it just would sit so, and we don't do it anymore, I know, but I'm a bit old-fashioned like that. Yeah. But, but it sits really well as like a 7-inch a 45, the B-side. It it has a place somewhere, but I can appreciate mm. that it's in the past and it's obviously of a different time and you want to probably be a bit more funkier and, and more youthful. It's like, I mean, I, I, I wrote it and I'm happy about it. But at the same time, I still have, I still enjoy playing it. Like all my, my live sessions that I do still play that song. And it it's still a fun one to play. How are you going with, particularly in these times, with the whole live performance? Mm-hmm. And what I mean is as a performer, using that screen mm-hmm. medium, how are you finding that? It's actually not bad. I'm kind of enjoy- I'm kind of enjoying it because uh, I can be not ready or I can be like just hanging out and doing nothing two minutes before I'm playing <laughs> and then just like step in front of the camera and I am at a gig basically. And then right after my gig, I can just like be home and not have to like go anywhere. You also, you don't have to go to the gig like five hours in advance and be waiting around. So it's kind of nice. It's a bit weird with like the audience because obviously you're just performing or like talking to your screen and so you're not sure like how they're reacting or whatever but for now it's good and I get to focus also on my writing more I mean I still would prefer a live audience for sure but Mm -hmm. it's not bad at the moment we've got something called the Isolate Festival where some pretty big names just Mm. do 20 minute set and it's their original stuff and maybe finish with a cover just to round it out but what they're using Mm -hmm. for I'm sure is they look back at that 20 minutes ago okay where was the most interaction where were they talking about what songs all that kind of stuff so you might be able to play the audience a little and get their feedback but as you said on the originals obviously very very good idea I love that for sure look at like the analytics and look at like how many people are joining each one and like yeah specifically like what song they're liking the best I want to talk about other groups that you've been in, that you're part of. I'm drawn to this six-piece pop soul group, Harana Band. Sadly, I'm not really with Harana Band anymore. They played a very important role in my in, in my life, my career, I think, because one, they're all like great friends from university. Two, I think it was literally the first time I was only, I first started out, I think it was in second year or third year when I played my first gig with them with my friend Mackenzie again she's also a vocalist and yeah it was my first kind of like show where I was on stage just singing not playing keys and just background singing 
So she was like telling me like, you have to really like at these clubs, like you have to literally put your mouth on the mic or else people will not hear you. <laughs> like, and just like small things that I learned playing club dates basically and like gigging. And then eventually I started playing keyboard with them and then more background singing. And we toured a bit across Ontario, across Montreal. And then I moved to Toronto and now I'm not really, I'd like, they're still all good, good friends, but like, just since I'm not there, I can't like practice. I can't work with them. The other artiste I want to talk to yeah. you about, and whilst I don't think you're on the record Scream Queen, the credits don't have it there. You were touring with, which is fantastic. I want to know more yeah. about that. Performing yeah. keys and maybe backing vocals as well. Wow. Thanks to you. Little Scream? Thanks to you, I've been introduced to Little Scream. Yeah. she Isn't she amazing? Whoa. I love her. I know. What's going yeah, on so with happy. that? How did you get involved with Laurel, who is Little Scream? So basically, I was it, it relates to Hooray Band, actually, because I was playing a Hooray Band show, and then the engineer who was doing the sound for that show, Mike, who's a great guy, he saw me and he's like, what are you doing in Ottawa? Like, oh, you're a great player. Like, oh my God. Blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And then I think the next week he um, called me and he was like, hey, are you available for this gig? Like the pianist just dropped out and it was for a little scream and she is from Montreal. And he said like, we're playing here. This is the, this is what's happening. And I'm like, yes, I can do it. I learned all the stuff by ear, like her whole album, which is so much fun to play. I learned a lot about my keyboard like the synthesizers, went to Alora, played Riverfest, hung out with Laurel, and she's so nice. And then I played a show in auto with her as well. You join us on a Saturday night. There's a tune called No More Saturday Night on that record as well, which is a bit of a hoot, oh, nice. a nice little listen. Do you have a favourite track mm-hmm. off the album of theirs that you liked performing? I really loved um, Cannons. Like, that's a really fun song. <laughs> it's kind of like, it was really fun. Uh, I also, Dark Days was also really fun. Yeah. Have you kept the friendship with her as well, musically speaking or otherwise? I saw her in Toronto. Her boyfriend was playing. He's actually part of Arcade Fire. He's the bassist in Arcade Fire. Reed Perry. So when she was in his band, and so I went and saw her, and then, like, we hung out, we talked and everything. That was the last time I saw her, though, and talked. But who knows? Maybe I'll play with her again. I would love to. I'd like publicly thank you for introducing me to her music. Very much appreciated. And yes, I will give no the album problem. we'll give the album a full listen, obviously, in due course. The album is called Scream Queen that's out and about. Uh, what are you currently reading, Cynthia? Uh, I'm in the middle. Good thing I'm reading a book right now, because sometimes there are times when I'm not. <laughs> you know the subtle art of not giving an hey. F? I'm actually well, I'm reading, I'm like I'm listening. It's an audiobook. So that is what, and I'm really liking it. I'm almost done, sadly. Okay. Well, in terms of hearing, what album are you currently listening to? Listening to? And I did say album. Album, I know, right? Like, so one full album. Mm -hmm. Listening to, I don't know. I've I've kind of like, I'd like to go back. Like, I'm still listening to a lot of like Stevie. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of John Prine. I'm not giving you like album names because like I've just been doing playlists. But Stevie as in Stevie Wonder. What did you get from John Prine? He recently passed. Well, the thing is that I actually hadn't listened to a lot of John Prine before at all. And then a lot of my current 
who I admire today, like Emily King, for example, they were posting about like, oh my God, this was a great songwriter. And I'm like, who is John Prine? So I've just, I love his uh, lyric writing and his songwriting. And so it's really good too. So that's why I've been listening to him a lot lately because I didn't know him before. His songwriting is just beautiful and simple and like to the point and like heartfelt. That's what I get out of him. (laughs) It's good sometimes just to deep dive later in someone's career or life and then go back through it instead of living the experience with them. Are there artists that you've discovered in that way that maybe they are from the past but deep dive through their catalogue creatively? I think it's kind of sad, yeah, when that that happens, when, like, you discover music and then you look and you're like, oh, wow, they died. It's like that's the saddest thing. I haven't found a place for this in our conversation, but I'll mention it. It may bring Mm -hmm. some positive memories or it might not. Recently you went back to your elementary school for their 50th, not your 50th. Oh, yeah. That was really nice. And that happened, I was playing for the first time in like my hometown uh, in Schaumburg. I was a stop on my tour for my album. What was it like growing up there? It was really good. It was really nice growing up there. It was different because to walk to my neighbor, who was also my uncle and my cousins, (laughs) it was about a 10-minute walk. So no real like neighbors, but it was nice, like small town atmosphere and vibes. And we went to the city often enough, like my dad worked in the city. So, and then also we'd go there for dinner or whatever. So we got our like city fix, but also had our own little space and quiet and room, a lot of room. Was there a sense of isolation as well? We've recently going through or have been through this period where people are just staying at home. Did you get a sense that that was a positive back then, that you had your own place to be isolated from the world? Um, Yeah, for sure. I honestly, I I liked it. I don't know. I mean, maybe growing up, I kind of wished that like I could walk to my friend's house because a lot of my friends could. They're like, oh yeah, I'll just walk to and from school. And I'm like, I wish I could do that. But it was still nice and like, yeah, I, I liked kind of being like isolated because we still understood that it's like, okay, if you just drive 10 minutes or 15 minutes, there is civilization. We're not the only ones. Recently, you played at the 50th for them. Yeah, it was nice. So my grade seven teacher actually came to my show in Schaumburg. Then she had mentioned to the people like, oh, well, if we need a someone to sing Oh Canada at the 50th anniversary, then I just saw Cynthia play and she's great and this and that. So they contacted me and that's kind of how it worked. And it was really nice. Like I had seen teachers I hadn't seen for like forever and my whole family came. I saw some old friends, some old parents of friends, and it was just a really nice thing. I had never actually sung Oh Canada in public in front of people. So it was a first. Which is the national anthem as well. So it does have great gravitas. Yes. So it was good. Very cool. There must have been some sort of flooding of memories as well. Did it remind you of better times, different times? What were those memories that flooded back? I think just different times. It was fun. Like, honestly, it was because I I had that school I was at for only two years, grade seven and eight. And it just kind of brought me back, yeah, to like seeing my friends and having fun. And my I had great teachers back then too, so I saw both of them reconnected so it brought me back to good times I loved school like elementary school high school it was always fun 
and informative years back at uh, Nobleton Public School as well. Cynthia, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Good luck with the up-and-coming album. Thanks for joining Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. Cynthia Toro can be found online at cynthiatoro.com. Latest release from them is Moments. Coming up. You know, I was really scared of the idea of having a family because I've been so band-focused for so many years, you know. I needed to do the band, I need to do this. And I think, you know, now I've got a bit older, I, I'm really comfortable with the idea of, of wanting to be a dad. I think I'd, I think I'd be a pretty good dad. Yeah, it's something I definitely want to do. You know, even just talking about all this stuff today, talking about the upbringing I had down here, I think they're going to get a beautiful place to grow up, which is going to be really special. Tom Wolf of the Wolf Brothers is our guest next time round. Coming up very soon, we'll catch up with Fion. They are the twin sisters with their critically acclaimed album, Everybody's a Critic. We'll also be joined very shortly by High Five's very own Nathan Foley. Thanks very much to our feature guest today, Cynthia Toro. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.